I wake up in the middle of the night. I find I'm still angry with the boys who threw me into Roth Park Lake in Cardiff in the summer of 1983 when I was 16. I log on to Friends Reunited. I find one of them and email to inform him that I am now a best-selling author. He emails me back. He says that the reason why they did it was because I was a pain in the ass. He says the tenor of my email leads him to suspect that I haven't changed and that throwing me in the lake again today would be an appropriate response. I email him back to say I earn more money than he does. He hasn't yet emailed me back. Touché. Graham Linehan wrote Father Ted. He says he spends too much of his time living in the past, dwelling especially on a few weeks in France one summer with a boy called Christophe. He was my French correspondent. Exchange student. Yeah. Yeah. So I went to his place for two weeks, got to know him, and then just that gradual thing, just realised after a couple of days that he didn't like me at all. How, how did you first spot Well, it? he was talking to his parents and he was saying, even though I couldn't understand French, he's always saying, quoi, quoi, because that's, that, I was like a f Irish Manuel. I was basically walking around going quoi, I, I, every time anyone said, it was the only word I could understand. So I could sense he didn't really like me and he was too mature for me. So rather than placing me with, say, a nerd who loves Dungeons and Dragons, who I'd still be friends with now if I'd met him. <laughs> they placed me with a bloke who got a motorcycle for his birthday. And you began to get the sense that he, he didn't like you. Yeah, no, he didn't. And you were constantly the subject of jokes. And I had a terrible time, really miserable. And he was a horrible bully and his friends all hated me. And I nearly had a fight with one of his friends in his school. And, and then he was going to come over to Ireland. So I just thought, well, he'll be on my home ground. I'll have a bit of control. It won't be so bad this time, you know, so we'll see what happens next. <laughs> so he came to Ireland and he just had complete control over my life in Ireland as well. He was immediately friends with all the cool kids in my school and he was just horrible. He beat me up in a swimming pool with his friend once. It was just a complete nightmare. This odd hell that childhood is where you can be going through something in very close proximity to your parents and they still can't help you. You still can't really tell anyone about it. It's obsessed me, you know, not just him, but generally that problem of childhood. I'm a little curious if you in crowded scenes And how serene the friends and fiends You should have let me know You could have let me know So you decided to murder him? <laughs> Not that I would murder him, but if I chose to murder him, <laughs> it would be the perfect murder. Because every murder needs uh, motive, means and opportunity, isn't that it? Yeah. But it needs motive. Mm -hmm. Now, if someone came, Magritte or whoever, what was the name of that? Maigret. Maigret. Yeah. Was Le that the name of the detective, yeah. the French detective? Yeah. If he came and found Christophe dead at his front door, with a big butcher's knife through his heart, he wouldn't have a clue because I'm back in England, you know, or Ireland. I just got on the plane. I went straight to his house. I rang his doorbell. He opened the door. There's a few flaws, I realise, in this, but anyway. Like if someone else opened Exactly, the door. yeah, yeah. And how do I recognise him and all this sort of thing. But he opens you the mean door. mean now that he's grown up? Exactly. It doesn't really stand up, you know. <laughs> but anyway, I stab him in the heart. He dies. I get back in the taxi, which I've asked to wait a few doors away. 
<laughs> I go to the airport. I go back home. And then May Gray comes around. And where's the motive? There's absolutely no motive. He's just found someone killed in the middle of the afternoon. And everyone loved him because he's probably turned into a nice person. And, I, and because he beat you up, what, 25 years ago? Well, yeah, I have to say that this fantasy was particularly strong before I got successful. As soon as Father Ted took off, <laughs> I kind of dropped it. The worst thing about it, though, is that he'll never know that all these things happened. But my uh, He'll never know you wrote Father Ted. Yeah, yeah. Maybe instead of killing him, I should just learn how to say, I wrote Father Ted. <laughs> Get French. on a plane, go over, ring the doorbell. He comes to the door. J'écrivais Father Ted! <laughs> run away. <laughs> to be honest with you, in the end, it's a mug's game, isn't it? It's like answering critics, which I've done once or twice very stupidly. You can't, as I think Oscar Wilde said, roll around in the mud with them. And you can't roll around in the mud with your bullies. You know, you can't let them know that you still have these things. But it was a real problem for me, and it was a, I, I nearly had to see someone about it because my sense of injustice was so keen that I just couldn't sleep sometimes. It's partially our mother's fault because our mothers really don't prepare us for how unspecial we are, you know? So when you walk into school, you think you are the bee's knees. Wait till people get a load of me. My mum thinks I am the funniest thing. Wait, like, the first thing you say, someone hits you. <laughs> but, you know, I've been invited to the uh, school reunion. Ah. And they'll be there, the boys who threw me into Rothbart Lake. I'd bring a knife. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a better idea than that. <laughs> They've asked me to donate something for the raffle. Yeah. So I'm going to put together a package called My Fantastic Life. <laughs> and in the package will be my two best-selling books. Yeah. <laughs> a note saying, Dear John, sorry I missed you. Hopefully we'll meet up soon. Best Nick Hornby. <laughs> and a photograph of me with my arm around Zoe Ball. Yeah. Well, what do you think? Well, the Nick Hornby thing isn't great. No, that's that's the best I've got, I'm afraid. <laughs> I, can, I can do no better. Yeah. My six-year-old son says to me, Were you thrown in a lake? Yes, I say, I was thrown in a lake when I was 16. Why? he asks. Because I was fat, I say, and there's two lessons to be learnt from this. Don't be a bully and don't be fat. Will you show me what it looks like? he asks. Me being fat or me being thrown in a lake? Both, he says. I puff up my cheeks, waddle comically around, fall over and say, splash. Will you do it again in slow motion, he says. So I do. This time I add some dialogue. Please don't throw me in the lake. No! Splash! Will you sound more scared, says Joel, and put a cushion under your shirt. So I do. Please, I shout, waddling grotesquely. I might drown. Please, no! No! You were so fat says my son. I spent a while putting together the package for the raffle, My Fantastic Life, but I couldn't decide what to include. Should I add a copy of my bank statement, or would that be taking it too far? So I dumped the idea, and instead I brought along Simon, my producer. 
Yeah, this is the spot where it happened. This is exactly where we were walking down here. Nobody said anything. They just all at once picked me up and threw me in, which leads me to suspect that it was pre-planned. And then we all went back to one of their houses and watched Top of the Pops. Should we go? It's just, it's just up there. Well, I'm just wondering why six people that you could go and sit in the room and watch Top of the Pops with afterwards would want to conspire to throw you in the lake. I mean, what are you saying? I'm not saying anything. I'm just asking why you think that they decided to throw you in the lake. I don't like the tone of your question. Shall I rephrase it in a different way? I'll, yeah, I'll, okay, I'll, rephrase I'll, it. Um, why do you think that they, they threw you in the lake? What, what had happened? What went wrong? You're not rephrasing it, you're just putting a different tone on. You're putting some Clarena <laughs> tone onto it. It's still the same bloody question. I have no idea what you're talking about. Can you...? No, there was no reason at all. That's my answer. So, six of your friends from school, for no reason at all, decided to throw you in the lake. Are you trying to rile me? I'm not trying to rile you, I'm just trying to find out what happened. I told you they picked me up and threw me in the lake. Yeah. That's the action. What's the reasoning behind it? I don't know, I'm the one who was thrown in the lake. I wasn't the one who planned it. So basically you're saying it's a, an inexplicable act and it's, it happened for no real reason at all. But it might be because I was fat. Later I tell Simon that I can't help thinking that had he been there, he would have thrown me in the lake. And Simon says if I think that about him, then I don't know him very well. And as I walk up Lakeside Drive towards the function room at the back of the Discovery Pub, we'll leave my school reunion evening for a while and meet instead the comedian Dan Tetzel. Dan has been one of Basil Brush's joke writers. Now he's written a comedy show about his family's past. Your grandfather was a Nazi. Yes, he was, yeah. And it's worth pointing out the mm -hmm. Nazi in the way that the word Nazi is used, as in, he's such a Nazi. No, no, he's not a traffic warden, he was an actual, actual Nazi. What was his Nazi title? His title, Nazi title. Um, well, he was, uh, technically, he was a member of the Waffen-SS, which is the military wing of the SS, and he was an Oberscharfuhrer and a Hauptscharfuhrer. He promoted several times. He, he was SS Uschweißnummer 309163. Yes, that's right, his Ausweis number. Yes, you've done some research. Yep. Well, you, I've brought some photographs in, yeah. Um, yes, that's him. There's a picture of him in a cream suit by a huge bath chair on yes, the beach. which is obviously off-duty. Um, There's him with other Nazis. That's them on uh, a guided tour of the Palace of Versailles in occupied Paris. Here he is with a young Aryan farm girl. Yes, I think it's an allotment I think okay. he's working on, yeah. He's being very nice to her, he's got his arm round her. I think her. he, well that's the problem. None of these photographs show him planning world domination or being unpleasant. He, seems, he's he very... seems very nice, but I can't help thinking when I look at this photograph, he wouldn't have put his arm round me. No. He'd have killed me. Well, that's, I suppose, one of the interesting things, not that his attitude, but generally that he seems to have been a loving, caring, normal family man. He was very handsome. Yeah, he really looks like you know somebody Lenny Riefenstahl would have. I mean, drawn exactly. He's it's the iconography, I suppose, of these this combination. Glorious looking Nazi. These yes, these very glamorous uniforms, doing very banal things up and down the country. Yeah, yeah here he is in a bistro with a woman I can only assume is Eva Braun. Yeah, she looks like Eva Braun, but unfortunately she's my grandmother. There uh, he is riding on a very small bicycle. Yes, which is yeah. I think one of the weirdest 
photographs I've ever seen. It is. It's a Nazi on a, a tiny, tiny, tiny bike. bike. Yeah. Um, what's it's that? A, I think that's, as far as I can tell, a picture of the grave of the unknown soldier in Paris. So it's quite a morbid thing for a, another soldier yeah. to have taken a photograph I know. of. Do you think your grandfather might have killed the unknown soldier? <laughs> well, we don't know. He was unknown. Uh, yeah. I don't really know uh, about who he killed and what he didn't. That's <laughs> part of the problem, isn't it, really? I suppose, with this history, is that being in the SS, he was obviously up to no good. But the exact level of involvement is difficult to ascertain. You've written about it, and can I, have, I, quote, I, mean, can I quote something that you wrote? Yes. Uh, I am a direct descendant of a Nazi. Have I inherited anything? I've got a very short temper. If history teaches us anything, it's the slippery slope between mild annoyance on public transport and genocide. So it is obviously something that concerns you. You're looking at yeah, your own... I think the Nazis were so obsessed with the next generation and with bloodlines and so forth that you can't help but, I think, look at your relations in that way. Now, my mother was born in August 1945, and a baby born a few months earlier may have, you know, gurgled appreciatively at a Goebbels speech or accidentally given the Nazi salute while being burped, but my mother could have done none of those things. I mean, she had a few clear weeks where she'd have thrown her weight behind Emperor Hirohito, but I'm pretty clear that she didn't. So the events of those previous 12 years have nothing to do with her, and they've nothing to do with me either. I mean, we should both be guilt-free. But we're not. I've always wondered why that is. And part of it, of course, is that this man, my grandfather, died a Nazi still. He was never around to uh, apologise or explain or make amends. And so perhaps what I have inherited is the need to make amends. And you say, um, I can't shake the feeling that he's a better human being than me. Yes, I, I do, mean, yeah. I mean, come on, this is what you write. I, I do, yeah. I, I'm a comedian so hard up for material that I'm forced into the position of showing off about being related to, to a, a possible, possible war criminal. Yeah, yeah, I think... He's been to Paris, I haven't. He's been to Hungary, I haven't. All right, he was going with work, but he's well-travelled, I'm it's not. True, you know, it's, it's, all that is true, and uh, I do sort of come to the conclusion that I am a better person than him, but mainly that's just by default, that he's a Nazi, I'm not, therefore I am a better person than him. Dan says that all he has is jokes. His grandfather had an ideology. It may have been a terrible ideology, but it's better to believe in something than nothing, Dan says. I'm not so sure. I think it's much, much better to tell jokes than be a Nazi. But here's Dan, yearning for a past where people believed too much. I've never really stood up for anything in my whole life. I mean, the last political thing I did, I think, was during the miners' strike when I went to uh, support the miners' cocktail party in Islington. You know, I'd, if I'd sit mugging in the street, I'd walk away. I don't have the courage to tell people to turn their music down or shut their iPod up when it's too loud. And so I've never really stood up for anything. I've never been called to stand up for anything. He did stand up for something, and I, I found that interesting, where moral courage lies, I suppose, whether I can claim to be better 
simply because I've never had to do anything. Yeah, my life is just a Dan Tetzel. The writer Robert Popper says he spends too much of his time living in the past too. The same years, in fact, 1939 to 1945. There he is. Always in a bad mood. Horrible man, obviously. His little piggy eyes and his moustache. He liked dogs. He was a vegetarian, everyone knows that. The thing is, I've been watching him for years, 20-odd years. Why am I always coming back to Hitler and the Nazis? I mean, it's not as if I'm a Nazi. I'm Jewish. Maybe my mum will know more. I think it was Grandma. You used to love to talk to her, and I think you were fascinated by her accent. Uh, hello, Robbie. This is your answer phone? No, it's, it's, it's me. Oh, and you have a television? Yes, I have a television. I'm at work. Oh, put the television on. I don't... I can't at work. Oh, be 15 to 1, so I'm such a clever man. Did you see? No, I'm at work. Oh, where are you? I'm at work. Oh, this is my favourite photo of my grandma. Here she is, Maria Buller was her name. Imagine a very typical Jewish grandmother, very small, four foot eight-ish. And she was always brown, loved wearing a bikini into her 80s, dyed her hair blonde and plucked her eyebrows. And she was an amazingly vibrant, funny, eccentric woman with the best voice. You always used to talk to her about the war. You always used to try and get her to give you another little snippet. Mm. But did she ever talk to you about it? No, she didn't. We never even really asked. Mm. One of my friends says I'm completely blocked, that I can't even think about it. She got literally the last train out of Germany. She lost a lot of family in the war, but she, in the end, did well for herself. And this is my photo album. It's mine now. It was my grandma's. She gave it to me. It's my favourite thing. And it's photos taken with her and her husband, my grandfather, as they travelled through Europe from 1933 right up to 1938. My grandfather loved football and he played in a football team and pictures them from Stuttgart from 1934 and later 1938, all with the Star of David that they had to wear on their tops and list all their names and I always think, I wonder what happened to them. And then I kind of, you know, I know what happened to them. This is Regent Court in Kilburn, a little red brick building, a block of flats where my grandma lived. I remember around the back there was a train track and every 10 minutes or so a train would come thundering past and me and my little brother would tear through the fact like lunatics, rushing to the back, opening the window, peering out at the train and my grandma would be screaming, maybe a train, maybe a train. It was kind of no maybe, it was, it was definitely a train. And I just remember as a kid I'd always be looking at that train and I'd always imagine it as the one my grandma was on, the last train, the one that took her away from the Nazis to England. All she'd kind of say was, you know Hitler, he was a terrible man, horrible. 
And I'd always ask her about, you know, what was it like to see a Nazi? And she'd say, what was it like to be a Nazi? Oh, such a stupid question. No, I don't know. I was going to tell you that I had a dream, like a recurring dream many times. Maybe when I was younger more, which is my dream was of me being like an angel or floating with a machine gun and going over like concentration camps and machine gunning all the Germans. So you were a hero, even in your dream. Yeah, what do you think about that? What does that make you think? Perhaps you wanted to be a saviour, perhaps you wanted to save the Jews. Yeah, maybe so. I'm a second-generation Jewish guy living in Britain. I don't have much of a cultural identity, apart from maybe the Holocaust is my thing. You know, the thing that I can relate to, it was the defining moment, the Nazis trying to kill my grandma, and she escaped. And that's the thing, and that's why I keep reading and really wanting to know why, why did they do this? But maybe if my grandma was around today, she might say something different. She'd, she may well say something like, Why don't you stop reading all these books on Hitler? Try reading something else, you know, about Stalin, or Lenin, or Mussolini, or Franco. Robert Popper. It was with trepidation that I approached the back room of the Discovery Pub on Lakeside Drive for the reunion of the Cardiff High School class of 1985. I'd had a mental picture of a room full of thugs just jumping on me the minute I walked in, but instead I bumped into Sarah Thomas, who'd been, without any doubt, Cardiff High's most attractive enigma from the age of 14 upwards. How are you? Very well. Years. I'm very well, Ronson. Nervous. Stressed. I'm a lawyer, I shouldn't be stressed, but I am. Does it feel like the last 20 years of your life just haven't happened? Oh, they have. I've got wrinkles to show. They haven't. <laughs> you look better. Yeah, I aged well. Why were you nervous? The people I was going to see. And I hoped I was going to see you. That was a big thing. So you see, it wasn't all bad because I really wanted to see you again. John, John Audrey. Jonathan Audrey. What's it got? Hi, sweetie. <laughs> that was Jonathan Audrey. I remember nothing about me except his name. Yeah. He hasn't changed. No, he hasn't. No. No. Still cheeky. Something unexpected happens at the reunion. I have a lovely time. What I don't remember, it turns out, are the good times. Really? I keep saying, we did that. It's bizarre you don't remember that, people keep replying. It's as if I've scrubbed from my memory anything that contradicts my image of school as the worst days of my life. Do you think I've given myself sort of false memories? Yeah, I think you have. You think things aren't, weren't as bad? They weren't as bad. You've never talked about my house, and I think you had a nice time at my house. Yeah, I did. Very much so. And then Di Lewis, the man I thought had throw me in the lake, comes over. He says, I've got it all wrong. Very wrong. Do you remember it as a good time? I remember it as a very good time at school. 
What do you remember? Young Americans, good time. What do you remember of the day of the lake incident? Just good time, you know. What, we all went down to the lake, and what, we all jumped in together? Yeah. That's how you remember it. Do you? No, I remember being picked up and thrown. Is that really how you remember it? Do you remember anyone else going in the lake? No. Just you? Yeah. Wrong. What, did we all go in the lake? Everyone. What, everyone, like who? Geralt? Dick? Paul Morris? Yeah. What, we all jumped in in a kind of joyous... Youthful frenzy. I would say so. What do you remember being in the lake? <laughs> it was really disgusting. <laughs> but, you know, it washed off. Was there any pushing going on at all? Did we all jump in of our own free will? I don't think there's any pushing. Do you really think there was pushing? John, really, really The, the way I remember it is that we were all walking along and then... Because obviously this is a really big thing in your life. No, it's not. No, it is. It obviously is. Go on, tell me. And then some look passed between you and you picked me up and just threw me in. How could I pick you up? You were massive. There's no way. John, come on. Well, maybe but You could have picked me up. So when you remember... Uh, uh, pregnant silence, silence. When you remember our time together, what do you remember? I remember it as, as being really good. I remember you, John Morris, Geraint, Dick, as a really good time. No other thoughts. Do you look back on it as being like the happiest days of your life, which is what people say about their school days? Yeah, no, I do, yeah. Really the happiest days of your life? Apart from my kids being born, yeah. You? No, for me it's like the saddest days of my life. Oh, that's really bad. That's really bad. Well, I've had, you know, very happy days since then. Of course. You were one of the group, you know. There was never any bullying. If you say differently, I think you're fantasizing. You really are. Fantasizing. Absolutely. I mean, I'm beginning to wonder whether I should be trusting my memory. Do I get a hug, do I? Yeah. Okay. Don't don't stress about it, you know? There was nothing. I was in the lake too. And so I go back inside to the disco, amazed at the fragility of memory and startled that I've spent so long being angry about something that probably never happened. And Simon, my producer, stays outside. All right, well, John's not here now, so I can tell you the truth. I remember the evening vividly. I threw him in the lake. I was 15 because he was being an arse. And then somebody else threw his scarf in afterwards, and he had to climb back in and get it. The humiliation of that. I'm not entirely surprised he's still having sleepless nights. But why did you do it? Because I was 15 and because he was an arse. That's all the reason I can remember. In a very similar, though more sort of pubescent way, that he's still an arse. Why do you think Dai is saying that you all went in the lake? Is he falsely remembering it, do you think? Because you seem to remember it very clearly. I do remember that Dai was there, but I think Dai's memories have been clouded over the years. Why it seems to have festered over the past 20-something years for John, I have no idea. But it obviously has. You want the truth on this? I think he was somebody who desperately wanted to be popular. And because of that desperation, he wasn't. Hey, listen, this is lovely, but I think you've got lots of other people to meet, and I didn't expect to come here and be judged. That was Paul. I earn more money than him, 